Welcome to Today on Broadway for Monday, December 6, 2021. I'm Broadway Radio's Matt Tamanini. And I'm arts and culture writer Ashley Steves. Ashley, we're going to do kind of a combo episode today. We are recording fairly late on Sunday because for some reason, all of the press reps across Broadway are deciding to have the embargo for reviews um, go up like 17 hours after the opening night performance ends. Where is the time when it used to be like (laughs) it was embargoed for when the curtain goes down, not for when people are like getting completely sloshed at the after party already. Miss it, miss it dearly. The the actual opening night was like last Tuesday and they're just coming out now at 10 o'clock. We love that. Yeah, but um, of course on Sunday night, the Broadway production of Mrs. Doubtfire opened, so we will talk about that here in just a minute. But before we do, I want to talk about some of the other things that um, we had in the podcast feeds since we last talked here on an episode of Today on Broadway. Later on Friday, I had my latest interview, my second Second one, actually, with the legendary Tova Feldchu, who talked to me about her. Um, the, actually, the first time she's been back on a New York stage in eight years, playing Dr. Ruth Westheimer in the new hey. show Becoming Dr. Ruth, which um, is written by a playwright who I've interviewed multiple times in person, actually, Mark St. Germain. He did a show when I was living in Atlanta uh, called The Fabulous Oh Something Tones. The it was a great show. Something O Tones, yeah. Something Tones. It was a show about. About um, a Sikh man who joins a barbershop quartet. It was lovely. Um, anyway, um, Becoming Dr. Ruth is uh, playing now through January 2nd at the Museum of Jewish Heritage. Then on Saturday, James had an interview with um, uh, Holden Hagelberger and Mark Bruni from Trevor Colon the Musical, which you can listen to. Then later on Saturday, Jennifer McHugh and I had a Patreon-only Some Like a Pop episode where we relived Annie live and went through all of that. Um, in a nutshell, we loved the kids thought the adults weren't that good yeah. um, but but thought overall that it was a, a really really good live TV musical. We also counted down our top five either TV musicals or pro tapes um, for that list of Palooza. So, yeah, so we had some fun stuff in there. And then on this week on Broadway on Sunday Peter James and Michael did talk about Mrs. Doubtfire. I'm going to mention um, Peter's review here in just a minute. But they also talk, uh, talked about the West Side Story movie Assassins, Clock uh, the visitor, Diana, much, much more. Um, so check out all of those. You got things. my attention with the assassins. I didn't get to uh, see no. Annie yet, uh, but I saw some clips of. It. I saw a Hard Knock Life clip, um, and the kids oh are so, so amazing. And I mean, ev- everything else, like everyone looked like they were having a lot of fun, and that's kind of all I can say about that. Let's just say that the, uh, in my opinion. Mm-hmm. The children, actually, I'll say it this way. The, the little girl who played Molly was the best cast person in the oh, entire I love thing. it. So, best anyway. role, too. And yeah. the fabulous Lipitones, by the way. The fabulous Lipitones. Yeah, it was a great, mm-hmm. it was a really good show. I'm surprised it hasn't had more of a life, but there you go. anyway, uh, don't forget you can hear all of that content, um, in our Patreon first, patreon.com slash Broadway radio, Broadway radio, Broadway radio, something Broadway. <laughs> yeah. Uh, anyway, so as we mentioned, Sunday night was opening night for Mrs. Doubtfire, the musical at the great Stephen Sondheim Theater. Um, mm-hmm. it of course began previews back on March 9th of 2020, and then it's had to wait nearly two years to have its official opening night. The show stars um, the great Rob McClure in the role that was originated um, by Robin Williams on screen. It also stars Jen Gambatisse in the Sally Field role. Um, we also have appearances um, by Charity Angel Dawson, who's actually out the night I saw it, mm. uh, Jay Harrison Gee, Brad Oscar, uh, Annalise Scarpacci, Avery Seller, um, uh, and uh, Jake Jake Ryan Flynn. Um, so it is directed by Jerry Zaks, who gets a number of mentions in some of these reviews that I'm going to talk about. Um, it is choreographed by Lauren mm-hmm. Lotaro, and it has a book by Carrie Kirkpatrick and John O'Farrell, music by Wayne Kirkpatrick and Carrie Kirkpatrick, who also wrote the lyrics. So that's the team behind Your Beloved Something Yes, Rock indeed. As well. So let's dive into the reviews. First, Maya Phillips reviewing it for the New York Times said, quote, Mrs. Doubtfire simultaneously tries to replicate an outdated story and update it for the Times, but 
The show only ends up cowering in the original film's shadow. Rob McClure steps into Mrs. Doubtfire's sensible shoes in this production. He's vivacious on the stage, and his impressions, including a hilarious tongue-wagging golem, are precious. But the director Jerry Zax's ambivalent production tries to have it both ways. The story of a playful man-child with whom we emphasize, but whose good intentions can't excuse his machinations. The film pulled it off at the time, primarily thanks to Williams's charms. McClure's Daniel, though, is more irritating than entertaining, and his antics, which include hacking into his wife's email account to sabotage her nanny search, are more creepy than kooky. Mm. Think that. I think we probably could have seen a lot of that coming. But anyway, um, Adam Feldman for Time Out New York gave it three out of five stars, which really is about the lowest he will go for something that is competently done. Let's be honest, Adam. Um, he said, if it's a two out of five stars, you know that it's bad. And heaven forbid he gives you a one out of five stars looking at Some you, Diana. Diana. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Um, anyway, Adam said, quote, have I seen the new Broadway musical Mrs. Doubtfire? At this point, I am fairly confident that I have. Ask me in three months, and I'm not sure what I'll tell you. <laughs> this, this, that's a good line. That's that a really good line. Good. I like it. This pleasant and forgettable show at the Stephen Sondheim Theater is the epitome of what Sondheim, citing his friend Mary Rogers, called a Y musical, a perfectly respectable show based on a perfectly respectable source that has no reason for being. Mm hmm. Can't say mm -hmm. I disagree. However, there was one critic who liked it immensely more than a lot of the other ones did, and that is Diane Schneider writing for The Telegraph. She gave it four out of five stars, saying, quote, In between, however, we have the pleasure of watching McClure, who, like Williams, is a master of physical and vocal transformation. He switches back and forth from Daniel to Mrs. Doubtfire multiple times over the course of two and a half hours, often without leaving the stage, and frequently busts a move in Lauren Lataro's exuberant choreography. Beneath the showman is the story of someone growing up and learning to appreciate love. No makeup, wigs, or padding are needed to take heart in that. Um, and then I, I mentioned, I wanted to mention what Peter said on um, this week on Broadway. It was interesting. He either hadn't seen the movie before or had been a long time. I know I haven't seen the movie in many, many a long time. Um, but he actually went back and uh, and watched it and it actually liked the changes that they made from the movie to the musical. He thought that it actually made the musical better than the movie, which I think will be Something that a lot of people disagree with. And yeah. he thinks that Rob McClure should win the Tony for this performance. Um, Interesting. Our friend, our friend Robert Rizal, after he saw it, and he might have changed his mind since then, but after he saw it in an early preview, he thought that this would be a Tony-winning role um, for Rob McClure as well. I saw it and I – I wouldn't be surprised. My, well, my love for, for Rob is well known. Mm -hmm. I, I didn't see that, though. I didn't see a Tony-winning performance. I saw a fun performance that had very little depth. And, you know, it's easy to compare it to um, Santino, Fontana, and yeah, Tootsie, Tootsie. Um, for lots of reasons. But here's the difference. Despite the fact that I think Tootsie is a, is a far more offensive show for many reasons, I mm -hmm. think Mrs. Doubtfire is just a fine show. But you had far more of an arc for Michael in, in Tootsie here and Mrs. Doubtfire, Daniel mm – -hmm. He's doesn't really change a whole lot. He just realizes that being a goof the whole time isn't the way to be an adult. So sure. you don't see a lot of progress in McClure's character like you just did. Just a static see. situation. Yeah. I mean, there's a little movement, but not a ton. So I thought it was fine. I, I thought it was a perfectly serviceable show of an absolutely iconic movie. Yeah. Um, it's not something that I would recommend to anybody. My brother and niece are going to New York in the spring. I'm actually going to be there with them. Um, it's, I told them like, only go see this if you need to fill the hole. <laughs> I mean, that's yeah. fair enough. That's you know? very fair. Uh, I think I'm, I'm really conflicted about this because I think, I think this will end up being a Tony winning performance because I think Tony voters are very easily distracted by <laughs> yeah. a yeah, lot by spectacle by, by spectacle. spectacle by a lot of things but certainly spectacle and this is spectacle it is you are taking 
definitely top three Robin Williams of, you know, iconic roles and bringing it onto stage and something that a lot of people thought was going to be untouchable. Like when Mrs. Doubtfire was announced, everyone was like, they're not going to be able to do that anywhere near as well as Robin didn't seem like this is kind of the case. As I say, it seemed like this is the case and those people were right, but they've at least put it on the stage, I guess. And I feel like voters are going to get distracted by like even the most minuscule fact there of that in fact this is a musical um i actually like a lot of the reviews i saw talked about how dated the movie is and i do think it is dated Mm -hmm. um but i'm i seem to be in the extreme minority for a lot of people where i love that movie so much and, and recognize its flaws and recognize where it's aged poorly but i can probably quote that movie by heart so seeing it on it was a run by fruiting <laughs> exactly um so seeing it on stage to me is just so superfluous and unnecessary like it's a show to me that didn't need to be done and that's kind of like what all not even what all the criticism comes down to but kind of everything that I feel about this musical and why I haven't like run to go see it yet or anything even though I might be on assignment for it soon so I'm going to have to um it's it's just it's it's a movie that didn't need to be made into a musical. It's a movie that mm-hmm. wouldn't need to be made into a play. Like it's it's perfectly fine where it was at. And I think we talk so much about making sure we didn't do the man in dress shtick and do it poorly. And I, you know, I know the Kirk ba- Kirkpatrick brothers talked a bit about like making sure that didn't happen. And I've talked to. Uh, uh, trans people and trans playwrights who have liked it. And I've talked to other trans playwrights and people who, who really didn't yeah, like it. Same. Uh, it, it seems like they did better than they did with Tootsie, but that's yes. not saying a lot. Not a high bar. <laughs> yeah. The yeah. bar, the bar is buried under the ground. Yeah. You'd have to limbo to get under that bar. But, um, yeah, I mean, it was perfectly fine. I, you know, if, uh, you know, you said something there that made me think, I think this would have made a better play than it would have a musical. Um, it could if have. you had to it adapt it. Yeah. But it, but it also made me think, so I don't remember, I'm stealing this from somebody I saw on Twitter. Um, maybe, maybe, I think I'm stealing this from Margaret Hall, uh, at, at its Margaret Hall on Twitter. Um, so if it's not, um, forgive me. Um, but it might have been Emily Clark, Emily A.B. Mm. Clark, if not one of those two, I think I'm stealing this from. You know, people always talked about, like, in the past week with Sondheim dying, like, oh, he wrote original musicals. No, he no, didn't. No, he didn't. Oh, <laughs> he my adapt- God, it's a hill I will die on forever. Yeah. <laughs> most of his shows, not all of them, there were original shows, but most of his shows were adapted. The difference is, and I think this is what Margaret's point was, is that when he adapted things, he adapted them so much that there was something substantively different than their source material. And that's what we're not seeing with Mrs. Doubtfire. It's what we didn't see with a lot of other shows. Now, Tootsie, there was something substantively different because they changed it from a soap opera to theater. But that's not even near what Sondheim would do to, to make changes. So... um so I think that's the difference. Like if you're going to make, if you're going to adapt something, have a reason for adapting it other than you have this IP that you think you can make and money on. And even Adam Feldman, you know, sourced that in his review or cited that in his review yeah. talking about, you know, Sondheim's messages to Rogers as far as like why musicals. Like that's the point. What, why, why does this need to be done? How is it improving the source material? How is it different from the source material? How is it? telling a different story and giving you a different take than what the source material did while still paying homage to it. And this is just like, it's ripping it from the movie, changing a few things, it seems like, but ultimately like adding, adding lazy, bland (laughs) music, which is so disappointing from a team that I love, for someone who saw something rotten eight times. Like, it's so disappointing to see them write just lazy, 
everything yeah. here. Yeah. Yeah. And to kind of wrap up this conversation, people were like, well, Sondheim would never adapt a movie. He not only did adapt a movie, um, you might have heard of it called A Little Night Music. That's yeah. based off of Smiles of a Summer Night. And then the He's last working thing. On, uh, he was well, working on a musical adaptation of two movies. Two movies. Yeah. Bunel was based off of uh, The Exterminating Angel and uh, the, the, Something Something dis- of the Bourgeoisie. Discreet Charm of the Bourgeoisie. Yeah. Yes. So like, he did it. He did it. Mm-hmm. And he did it better than anybody else. Anyway, let's move on and talk about our sponsor for this week, Upstart. We all know that when it gets down to holiday time, things can get very tough financially. Mm-hmm. Not only do you have the end of the year stuff, you have to start thinking about taxes, but you want to make sure that you are taking care of everybody that you love around the holiday season. And that can be really, really hard if you are carrying high interest loans and credit card debt. But with Upstart, you can pay off your existing debt quickly and easily and start living your life the way you want and to have the holiday season that you have in your dreams. Mm-hmm. Whether it's paying off credit cards, consolidating high interest debt, or funding personal expenses, including those holiday expenses, over a million people have used Upstart to get one fixed monthly payment with a clear payoff date. Rather than looking at your credit score alone, Upstart considers other factors like your income, your current employment, and your credit history to find a smarter rate for your loan. You can check your rate without impacting your credit score in minutes for loans between $1,000 to $50,000. And you can get those funds as fast as one business day. Find out how Upstart can lower your monthly payments today when you go to upstart.com slash Broadway. That's upstart, U-P-S-T-A-R-T dot com slash Broadway. Don't forget to use our URL to let them know we sent you. Loan amounts will be determined based on your credit income and certain other information provided in your loan application. That's upstart.com slash Broadway. All right, Ashley, we have been teasing this interview for a while. Things, it was going to go up, then Stephen Sondheim died and we Shut did up. a special episode. Um, <laughs> so we're finally, I'm sorry, but I just wanted to let people know, we've been talking about this interview for a while and we're finally getting it up because of all of the craziness that's happened uh, in the past week. But I talked with my third of the five current temptations, uh, James Harkness. He's actually the only current <laughs> temptation on Broadway who is one of the original temptations in the Broadway show, Ain't Too Proud. Um, great conversation. Um, he talked about how the pandemic um, has impacted his performance and his view of the story that they are telling, not only because of the year and a half gap when he wasn't able to tell this story, but also all of the racial implications that have happened um, since the time when the show closed down in March. We talked about um, how he had to fight even to get seen for the show just for an ensemble role before he actually um, was was cast as Paul Williams. And he also talked about some of the things that... Um, you know, he's learned about the real life Paul Williams, who, spoiler alert, died fairly young. Um, and he talked with, with Otis Williams, no relation, who is the, the sole remaining, uh, living member of the original Temptations, who was involved in the production. I um, also talked about their manager, who is a character in the show, who also told him some really great things about Paul. Um, so it was a great conversation, just a super insightful, heartfelt, genuine guy. Um, and I'm going to have to make it, you know, a complete five for five. Um, uh, no, you gotta catch them all. Just try to knock out all of them. I've had I've had Jelani Remy here recently. I did Nick Walker um, last year. I saw Nick after I saw the show when I was in town last week. He had me come and meet him at the stage door, um, and we talked for a little bit. So I'm, I'm three for five. I got to get the other two here. Two more, here two more soon. to go for the full set. <laughs> I'll have it with my uh, collecting <laughs> cards as well. So. Yeah, there you go. All right. So without further ado, here's my interview with James Harkness. Well, James, I really appreciate you uh, talking with me today. I have just recently seen Ain't Too Proud again. Um, and so I uh, continue just to kind of be so blown away by the infectious kind of energy of that show and, and everything that comes with it. After being off from the show for as long as you were, how was getting back into, I guess, Temptations fighting uh, condition, so to speak, uh, to get to get back on stage in that show. That's a that's a good way to put it. <laughs> Temptations fighting mode. Um, you know, I was a little bit blessed because prior to getting back, oh, I should say, getting into the rehearsal room again for "Ain't Too Proud," I had been blessed to do another project out in the Hamptons, so. I was doing a show, so I had already kind of previously gotten myself 
into the rehearsal schedule and into doing shows and all that kind of stuff. So that was a great help because it was only maybe a week after I got done with that, that we started rehearsals for Ain't Too Proud. So, but I was also throughout the pandemic, I wasn't completely dormant. Um, I was teaching some dance classes and doing things singing, writing, all those types of things on on my own speed and under my own steam. But we are also doing things with Ain't Too Proud, which was really great. Um, we had quite a, we had a couple of performance things that we did. Uh, so we were never completely sidelined. Yeah. Uh, so getting back into it, though, the <laughs> we, they had what they call boot camp. Oh, yeah. Uh, seems fair. That's something you're familiar with as well. Yeah. We had Temptations Boot Camp. Um, and so for the first two weeks, um, sorry, for the first week, uh, it was just the five, well, the six men. And then anyone who covers the six men. Um, and I say six, including uh, Saint Aubin, who plays Dennis Edwards. Uh, so no, so that's what we did. We, any of those, any people who covered us and us, we spent time just going over Temptations choreography for the show because we bear the chunk of the movement in the show. And uh, it was, it was kind of grueling, even, even for myself who had already been active, it was like, oh, right. Oh, right. <laughs> yeah, this isn't easy. Yeah, Broadway ain't easy. That's for that's for sure. It ain't easy. This ain't easy. Um, but it was also fantastic um, being in that space again, being with these men again at that time. Um, and of course, our creative team um, and just getting to what we do and what we love and what we haven't been able to do at the capacity that we were, that we are now able to do things at. It was a wonderful feeling and it continues to be. Yeah. I I saw the show, I guess it was two Saturdays ago now. So I saw the matinee. So it was in between shows and I uh, spoke with Nick Walker after afterwards and he was just exhausted uh, and i imagine a month in that that all of you kind of are are still getting your your legs underneath you but you mentioned the the fact that ain't too proud did some performances uh, on tv especially and and some video throughout the course of the pandemic and it just felt one i was happy because that meant i could imagine that the producers were ponying ponying up money for you guys to do those things if you weren't coming back um before it was officially announced but also i think with everything that we'd gone through over the past year and a half, you know, the show has all of this music that I think makes people happy, but it also has a lot of themes of people kind of suffering through things and getting through it because of this, this idea of family, whether it's, you know, literal family or, um, or chosen family. And I thought that that was, there was a lot that was being said by the fact that Ain't Too Proud was showing up to do these performances, not the least of which was that it's a show about a, a group of five or six or however many black men as well during everything we've gone through from 2020 into 2021. I mean, did the fact that you guys were getting to do these things, did that feel important to you for more than just the performance aspect of it? Uh, absolutely, especially nearing the middle of of things um at first when like the first thing we did was a mother's day video like a lot of broadway shows got together and they did a mother's day thing and out of that came a request to do something else and then came a request to do something else um and so those were all like fun but then they became a little bit time consuming because they became more involved as they went on because ain't too proud is what it is. You know, it's, it's one of those things. It's like when they see us, yes, they want to hear us sing, but they also want to see us do what we do. <laughs> uh, no pun intended um, or pun intended. Fine. Yeah. And, uh, but then where things started to shift um, was when we did the American, American express thing with Whoopi Goldberg. Mm-hmm. And that's where things shifted. And it took on the tone that parts of our show takes on. And 
we were able to speak on the responsibility that we have in this show, telling these story, telling the story of these five, six plus men, but specifically at the time, the five slash six men from the classic temps to when Dennis Edwards joined the group after David Ruffin left that time period where the group was created up through the early seventies is when America was going through in the world, but America was going mm-hmm. through all of the things that they were going through and the temptations were coming of age. And it was very poignant to be also five, six young black men struggling in not, not struggling, but well, act, actually at that time, there was a feeling of struggle. There was a feeling sure. of unsafety. There was a, there was a feeling of being on the verge of something that we weren't sure what it was going to be. And it's, it wasn't horribly different from what the temps went through back in their time. And so it was so important. We knew that we were the only show that was on Broadway prior to the situations that we were dealing with and that would be returning to Broadway that was actually speaking on the subject matter without lording it over, but actually touching on those points. So yeah, yeah, there, that understanding and, and importance has definitely been there. And now that you've been back and you all as artists and, and individuals have gone through this period, but so has the audience. Is there, I, I mean, I don't think anything's changed in terms of the content of the show, but has the feeling of some of those scenes uh, where this is being touched on specifically, is is that different to you? Does it feel different? Does it get a different response now that the country in some ways or another has kind of been through something that so directly mirrors what was happening at the time that the show is taking place? Yes and no. The Some of that response we've, we've always gotten. From when we first did the show in 2017 at the Berkeley Rep throughout this whole entire journey up till now, because there have always been audience members, be they black or white, generally certain moments are responded to more so by our black audience, but that understand the nature of what we're talking about. They fully understand those moments. I remember when we were in Berkeley and uh, we were nearing the last, we were in the last week of shows and I passed by an art gallery and I saw two paintings that I wish that I had bought. I still regret that I didn't go buy those paintings. Um, But I met the, the owner of, I met the artist and we were talking. And when I told him what I was doing, because I was saying, I'm not going to be here much longer. And I don't, I don't know if I'm going to be able to come back and get these paintings. She was like, well, what is it that you're doing in town? And I told him and he was like, Oh, wow. We loved the show. I got to see it because I have friends. Da, 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 da. And he said, you know, I grew up in that time period. So now this is a white male. And, uh, and he said, so I went through all of that. He said, but I was very appreciative watching this show because it made me understand that time period from a different perspective. Because as I was growing up in it, I didn't have to deal with what those men had to deal with. And seeing it opened up my eyes. And it was a fascinating and important moment, you know, for him in his life. And we've had those types of moments along the way. When we were in Berkeley, another thing happened. I don't remember exactly what was happening in the country at that time, but there was uh, about four days or so where there was going to be some protesting happening in the Berkeley area, actually not horribly far from the theater. And they had to blacken out our windows of the theater and some other businesses and stuff on that street because there was a social movement that was happening and there was concern that some damage or something might be done. So to protect us, that that was happening at that time. And 
it was at that moment there were lines in the show that popped. When we were in D.C. doing the show, there were things that happened that certain lines in the show popped. When we were in L.A., it it's 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 continued to happen. So now that we are here where we are and we've gone through what we've gone through, does it feel different at some points in time? It does feel different because there are times when I feel certain responses coming more from the audience in totality. And it's not just coming from members of our audience that look like the, that look like the cast that's on stage. Does it feel different for us? Yeah, it does feel different, but it, again, it also feels the same because we have not changed one word of our story. It's exactly the same story that we have been telling. It's just now it hits different as the saying, the popular saying now is it does, it hits different. And frankly, within these last three days, it definitely hit different for me. And I'm certain that it hit different for members of my company with the, the things that have been happening in these last couple of days. And that's, what's so powerful about our show and it's also so thought provoking and unfortunately sad because we're still there. The first time I went in and saw the show, I, I didn't know what to expect. Obviously I knew I'd been familiar with the stories of the temptations, but um, I, I was kind of really taken aback by all of the, like the word you use sadness, not only from the, the racial implications, but also the the death and, and, and kind of loss of life that um, so many of the members of the group went through very early um, in life. And obviously, um, uh, Paul Williams is 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 no exception to that. When you are playing a character who is a real life human being who is not actually there to give you insight into what he was thinking at the time. Do you do you just rely what's on the script, or do you go and be like, how do you try to put in some semblance of who he was as a human being into that character without actually having him there to kind of give you the insight as to what he was thinking and feeling during the events of the show? In there's a few different things for me. Part of it is relying, as you said, on what's on the paper and understanding and navigating the journeys that the characters have within this version of the story. So that's interesting. For me, it is just going, okay, this is my, my arc and how my arc goes, comes in contact with Eddie's arc, how it comes in contact with Otis's, with Melvin's, with David's and with Dennis's and the other people in the, in the cast. And so those things help inform me how to do the in-between moments. For me, the connective tissue moments that are in between when I have a line to my next line and scene. So it's like the things that I do in between that, how I, how I interact with all the other people or even how I don't interact with the other cast members, with the other characters in the play helps inform where I go. That's how it works for me. Um, I also have had the blessing, of course, of speaking with Otis himself and, and speaking with Shelly, Shelly Berger, who is, <laughs> he's such a wonderful human being and a wealth of knowledge. Um, it's like, these stories that he tells us the times that he lived through with the temptations as their manager and the, and the Supremes and getting to, it's like they're fresh in his mind. You know, he, he loves what he is a part of. And so getting information from him about Paul and the ways that Paul was and some of the heartache that he went through. And one of the last things that he told me, which is something that I had put in to, and he had mentioned something similar to this before, but that one of the things about Paul was Paul loved when the group was smaller, when they were just a group of R&B singers before they became these like world superstars. Yeah. And he was like the bigger the group got, 
the harder it was for Paul. And, and I, I get that, you know, because the, the complications that came, the struggles that the group went through, the loss of, and before even the just loss of lives, just the loss of how people were and, and the true mm-hmm. selves of some people that came out and the things that they all had to deal with, you know, it was simpler in the beginning when all they did was get together and sing and dance and perform for just the love of it. Um, and I, I know that Paul's heart is one of the best things about him, not his, aside from his singing and his dancing. And that is what I've heard from lots of people that I have met that got to spend time with Paul or that were really major fans of Paul that used to go to the concerts and Paul was their guy and meeting those people, they would talk about how kind he was and how thoughtful he was. And, and so I weave those things in to the best of my ability. And then of course I have to just go with my gut feelings about what the character is. And, um, I guess <laughs> the, 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 the best affirmation that I've gotten that I have, that I'm doing the job well is the first time Otis saw us do a run through of the show in Berkeley, we did a run through of act one and, you know, he's sitting right there in front of us and super nervous, like, and you can't not look at him though. You're trying not to look at him and you're trying to do your show. And after the, we did that run through and I noticed through the show throughout, like when I would sing a solo song or a solo bit or whatever, like I never saw him look in my direction and I shouldn't have been looking for it, but it's hard not to look for it. Sure. And so when we finished the run through of act one and, you know, there was times like I saw him wipe his eyes, you know, he was definitely very moved and he said it, he was like, you got me sitting up here crying and I'm not ashamed to say it. Um, and I had this moment where I went, okay, well, I must not have hit it because I got no response from him at all. I, so I was like, well, you, at least you have to still go and say hello, you know, to the man and and all that stuff. So I waited in line and he was talking to two of our female actors and, um, he looked up because I was standing there for a good like two minutes while he was telling them whatever he was telling them. And he looked up at me and he said, hey, Paul, I'll be with you in a second. Yeah. And my whole. I, I, I didn't know what to say. It, it just hit me in the gut. Because he knew my name. But he called me Paul and he called me Paul for a good couple of weeks. And that meant so much to me. So it's, 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 it's a very, very special thing to be able to tell this this story for all of us um, and to tell the story of these men. Cause at the end of the day, while they became global stars, they were men. That's uh, such a wonderful story. Um, speaking of wonderful stories, here's a transition. I know that a lot of theater fans are enjoying the book when the lights are bright again. And if they aren't, they probably will be getting it or giving it to people this holiday season. I know that you are featured in the book, both with some, um, some full page photos, but you also wrote, um, an essay for, uh, the book as well. And I don't want, to necessarily spoil anything because we want people to go ahead and <laughs> go out and read it and when they buy the book. Um, but if, uh, could you just give us a, a little bit of a, you know, the, the thumbnail sketch as to what it was that you talked about in your little section of the book? Well, what everyone spoke about, which is what a beautiful book. Uh, so Andrew Norlin, uh, who I hadn't met before, but I got this message on Instagram saying, hey, I'm doing this project. And he explained what it was that during the pandemic, when everyone was struggling, going through it in their way. And uh, he he was specifically feeling that he didn't have an outlet. 
um, because we're, we're not performing. We're not doing, where do you use your voice? How do you use your voice? And a friend of his suggested to him to write himself a letter about how he was feeling during the pandemic and about how he would be able to feel once he was able to perform again. And he did that. And once he did that, he realized what that felt for him, what that felt like for him. And he wondered if that would be helpful to other artists. So he decided to reach out to people. And I was on that list of people. Um, And so that's what the letters are about. That's what my letter is about. Um, How I was feeling at that moment about what was going on, what I feel about theater and what I, what I envision things to be like when the lights are bright again. And it's a beautiful book. I'm amazed (laughs) still that I'm a part of it because I went, definitely went through a little journey (laughs) <laughs> with the book and uh of and it was just of my own making um with my own insecurities of my my presence in this business um so it's uh it's an honor to be a part of something that is really truly special and um we had a book um mm-hmm. I, I want to say a launch book, book launch or something a book launch thank yeah. you <laughs> Thank you for that. Um, and it was a really cool moment because he had select people come up, those people who were able to be involved, come up and read a passage from their book. And if they wanted to sing, they were they they could if they felt like it. And it was really beautiful. Uh, I got my book in the mail, but I didn't. I opened it, but I didn't look at it um, because I knew that I was going to be doing this event. And I realized that I didn't want to read what I wrote because I hadn't read it since I sent it in. Yeah. And I wanted to read it for the first time in the room with everyone else while I was hearing their letters for the first time. And it was an incredibly beautiful night and really a beautiful thing to be a part of. And I know that the book is definitely touching a lot of people. So it is a it is going to be a beautiful gift to be given and to give to yourself. Yeah. Well, I, I will wrap up the conversation with uh, kind of getting back to too proud, but also talking about something you just said, you talked about, you know, it's, maybe it was something pandemic related or, or something else, but you talked about, the insecurities that you had with your place in this business. You've been with Ain't Too Proud, like you said, since, you know, before, you know, the, the prep for Berkeley Rep and all that stuff. And you're still with the show now. That's a long time. What, what was it about this show other than obviously having a, a Broadway gig is always a good thing? But I mean, what was it that brought you back? Whether, you know, getting through those insecurities that you had during the pandemic or wanting to continue to tell this specific story, um, you know, when you had the opportunity to jump back in on Broadway with Ain't Too Proud, why did, what was it about this show that made you decide to come back? The story. It was the thing that pulled me into it in the first place uh, when I auditioned for it and when I was doing Beautiful the Musical. And once I actually auditioned for it, because I wasn't invited to audition for it, um, I, <laughs> I made a phone call, um, or not even a phone call, I, I made a text. Um, but unlike a lot of people, uh, you know, in this business, speaking of insecurities of my presence in this business, is when the show was auditioning just for the workshop, not even for an actual production. I was never called in to audition for it, but a whole lot of people that I knew that looked like me were being called in. And I was, I felt a certain way about that. You know, I just felt like, and was I not good enough? Why for this particular project, why was I not being called in, especially because I knew the casting company. And so for whatever reason, they didn't see me, to be someone to call in for this show. Um, But all the people that I was working with, uh, except for one at that time, were all going in. So the day before the audition, one of them turned to me and said, 
are you going to this audition tomorrow? What? Because I was the only person in the room that wasn't speaking about it. So I texted Sergio Trujillo, our choreographer, who I have a long history with. And I said, hey, I know you're doing this. You're choreographing this um, audition. I mean, you're choreographing this project. I would really love to be in the room if it's possible. If not, I also understand. And I got a text back a minute later, an actual minute (laughs) later that said, please come. And so I did. And once I got to that point where we got past the dancing and the singing and we got sides to read. And these were just ensemble sides because at the, at that point in time, I was just going up for the show. And, you know, so we got like Dennis Edward. No, not, we didn't get Dennis Edward. We got like Richard street stuff. We got a lot of the, we got the smaller characters to read for. <laughs> and I remember what I could read of it was really good. And a lot of times when it's a workshop, it's not re- the book is never really that good. Generally, what happens is the music is good and the idea is good. So they do a workshop to work on the book and work on the project and see what it looks like on its feet. When I read what I read, the pages that I was able to read from Dominique Morisot, I was like, this is a workshop? I was like, this is really good. So when I went in and I read for one of the smaller characters... I hate that word. One of the other characters, um, the director who I've worked with before had a little conference with, with the musical director and with his associate director. And he came, turned back to me, weeded through some papers and he was like, go out into the hallway and read for Paul or go out and look at this and come back in and read for Paul. And I was like, what? (laughs) Um, and so then now I had more to look at of what was written and I was like this is a really this looks really great so once I got into the show and we had a table read and I heard the whole story with just music like because they played the songs of the temps in in the slots they were going to be in there was no choreography no lights no costumes just music and words and I was like this is going to be on Broadway without question. And so that story is what has carried me on through this whole time. And now to have gone through this pandemic that has affected every single person on this planet in one, not every single person, but most people on this planet, I'm sure there are places in the planet that COVID didn't get to, but I would say that it got to more places than less. We have all dealt with this in one way or another. The advent of theater happening again, I didn't want to not be a part of that. Yeah. It, it, it's too important. What we do is very important. I believe the power of theater is, is no small thing. And I also, and I said this at, in a interview thing that I did during the pandemic that Broadway is the part of the heart's blood of New York City and Times Square is the heart of New York City and Broadway is a major part of the blood that pumps through that vein because when Broadway shut down Times Square shut down because the restaurants and the businesses a lot of that is dependent on tourists who come to New York and they come to broad come to Broadway to see shows. Times Square didn't shut down when the financial district shut down. You know what I mean? So it's theater is very important. And I don't know how you experienced your time without theater during the pandemic, but I feel like people up to a point they got tired of Netflix and tired of movies and as great as it was, but also I don't know if you noticed a lot of singing and dancing crept into all sorts of forms of television and movies because we understood 
people were understanding the need for it. So I wanted to be a part of telling this story again, this story, these, these black human beings and telling it after what we've gone through, what we're still going through and the ushering in of theater. And also because we're within the theater, we're also going through a representation matters situation. And I wanted to be in the black show <laughs> at the time on Broadway and there are other black shows, but we really, aside from our Shelley Berger character, we were the only black musical where the majority of the characters are black and part the storyline is black mm-hmm. with what has happened in Broadway in the past with how black stories have been used, black performers have been used and a reckoning has been happening. We are in a place now where I'm able to have conversations that I haven't been able to have before in a room for fear of being a troublesome one or being a difficult one or just being an actor who you don't have the right to speak up about things that feel wrong and are wrong to you. And now we're in a place where we can have those conversations. It's a very important thing to be a part of. So there was no way that I wanted to not be a part of this whole experience and moment yeah. right now. Yeah. And hopefully some of those conversations that either are, or hopefully will be taking place now that people are feeling a little bit more free to do those, those will continue to happen continue to grow and continue to lead to changes in the industry and in the community and in theater around the world. Um, because yeah, it, it's, I it's, so. I believe so. Yeah. Well, James, thank you so much for talking. This was uh, fascinating and I loved hearing all of your insights and uh, congratulations on the show. It is still just such a, a thoroughly entertaining and heartwarming, but also challenging show. And I am uh, very much looking forward to it being a part of the Broadway and theater conversation for many years to come. Oh, thank you for that. I really appreciate it. And thank you for your time and your interest. Thanks for listening to Today on Broadway. Follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at Broadway Radio. And you can find me on Twitter and Instagram at BWW Matt. Ashley, where can people find you? You can find me on Twitter and Instagram at No, This is Ashley. All right, everybody, have a wonderful Monday and an even better rest of your week. <laughs> <laughs>